Hello and welcome to the Moonshots podcast. It's episode 51. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man in springtime Brooklyn, Mr. Chad Owen. Hello, Chad. Hey, Mike. It's finally spring. Spring has sprung. I know. The sun is out and there's not a cloud in the sky. I'm I'm finally on happy that uh, that spring has arrived. And so am I, because you and I are going to be catching up in a couple of weeks time and it's very nice to open my weather app and see that it's not some arctic conditions Uh and have me scrambling for beanies and gloves it's really nice to see that we're gonna have a a gentler weather condition this time around yeah you can leave your uh quote-unquote winter coats which is just like a light jacket (laughs) uh at at home in sydney Absolutely. And look, I tell you what, we have had a blast on this architect series. And so many of these architects have done amazing things in your hometown of New York. And I think it's safe to say our fourth and final architect is living up to that promise as well. Who do we have installed, Chad Owen? Yeah. So our fourth architect in the architecture series here, wrapping it all up, is uh, someone from the other side of the pond, from a little Danish town called Copenhagen. And uh, we're going to be profiling Bjark Ingels of the Bjark Ingels group. Now, we're really fond of Bjark because he's done some uh, weird, wonderful, challenging, curious, stunning buildings. But my, my pitch for you here, Chad, is... You know, we have had some titans of architecture on this series, Zaha uh, on our 50th anniversary show, and obviously, you know, Lloyd Wright, Norman Foster, Frank Geary. But Bjarke, he, this guy, I mean, he is, I would pin him as the Elon Musk of architecture. He's quite the challenger brand, isn't he, Chad? Yeah, and that's why his name kind of leapt to mind as soon as we were talking about doing a series on architects. And while you weren't very familiar with him, I think just from a trip that Nicole and I had taken, my my wife and I had taken to Copenhagen a couple of years ago, she's an architect and made sure that we stopped by some of the buildings that Big had built around Copenhagen. And I was just really struck by them. And then when I kind of found out you know, did some research on him and kind of found his Elon-like personality. I thought he'd be a perfect fit (laughs) for this show because he's a little out there. He's a little bit of a pitch and hype man. But uh, what they have built thus far are some really interesting specimens that I'm excited to to talk with you and learn from Bjark uh, on today's show. Yeah, I have to thank you, Chad. Um, I really had no idea who Bjark Engels was prior to you suggesting him and you know digging into it there's two buildings that just leap out that are signature Bjark angles and very disruptive and so for those of you who are not driving and uh, on your commute but perhaps on the train or the tram have a little bit of a google around uh, for these two buildings the first one is Copenhill you know so think about Copenhagen Copenhill and they it was a waste management plant that we're going to talk about further in this show. 
but they've converted it into an alpine ski resort in the middle of Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. This building is ridiculous. It's so much fun. I mean, I just love this Copenhagen, don't you? Yeah, well, Bjork was kind of joking that there's lots of snow in Denmark and in Copenhagen, but it's all flat. There's no mountains. And so they used this giant, this giant, you know, industrial building and turned it into a ski slope. The the other building that that you are going to to point us to, Mike, is actually one of my favorites. And if you Google it, be sure you find some of the aerial shots of the Lego House, which is a new Lego museum in Denmark, the the home country of of Lego, and it's just like a giant set of Lego bricks. Um, <laughs> there's no on. other way to describe got, it. We, we got to give just a little bit of the magic here. Um, the this is a building you can walk into. But Chad, what's it made out of completely? If it's the Lego house, they made it out of? Legos, of course. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really colorful and, and the spaces inside, I think, do a really fantastic job of you know incorporating the, the playfulness of, of the product right into the building, which I think is really fascinating. Right. And, and if you look into Bjarke Engels, New York, you're going to see that he's got lots of uh, stunning plans all related to United Nations and all sorts of other things. And this guy, he's, he's our age, you know, he's, he's early forties and he is absolutely red hot at the moment, whether you're in Europe or the U S uh, he is a architect du jour. So we've got a lot to learn from him in the show. So if you're listening uh, to the show, be sure to go and check out all the show notes on moonshots.io have all the links and all the goodies there. You can pick up, you know, all our archive shows as well. But uh, Chad, we got so much to cover. He's got some great advice. And I think that's not only for architects, but for any entrepreneur or innovator. We can have a little peek into some of the buildings he did and how he thought about them. Mm -hmm. But he's got some pretty smart thinking. And again, this is where he's a lot like Elon Musk. What we really wanted to share is how he how he thinks, how he's built this massive architectural firm called Big, uh, where they win projects all over the world. So he's very much a great artist and a great entrepreneur. So we've got lots and lots and lots to share with with each other, with our audience. And I'm super pumped. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn from from Bjark Engels. Yeah. And so to, to start the show, we've got a great clip from Bjark really just introducing us to a few of his buildings and and also talking a bit, uh, getting again into his mindset and, and how he thinks, um, where he, he, for him, it's all about tweaking the status quo. So let's hear from Bjarke. When I started studying architecture and told people what I did, the most frequently asked question was always, can you tell me why all new buildings are so boring? People had the idea that in the past, buildings came with ornaments and decoration, moats, drawbridges, spires and gargoyles. Today, they had been reduced to containers of space, boring and boxy. Somehow, so many of our choices today tend to settle with reaffirming the status quo by replicating what's already there rather than inventing what could happen next. I decided I wanted to change that. In the movie Inception, the architects find that they can finally realize their wildest dreams because they're in fact designing inside a dream. The architect hero Cobb explains how he and his wife wanted to live in a house with a garden, but preferred to live in a high-rise. In real life, we would have to choose, he says, 
but in a dream we could get it as we wanted it. We've made a building in Copenhagen called The Mountain, combining a parking structure and an apartment building. By turning the parking into a man-made mountain of cars, we can turn the stack of homes into a cascade of houses with gardens, penthouse views and big lawns, Cobb's dream home made in real life. We call this idea bigamy, that you can take multiple desirable elements that might not fit together or even seem mutually exclusive, like the garden home in the high-rise, and merge them together into a new genre. You don't have to remain faithful to a single idea, you can literally marry multiple ideas into promiscuous hybrids. The beauty is that architecture not only allows you to dream stuff up, it also allows you to alter the facts. You can turn pure fiction into hard fact. We went on to imagine little tweaks of the status quo that now form everyday reality in Copenhagen and beyond. The eight house is a neighborhood of townhouses where you can walk and bicycle from the street to the penthouse, turning a city block into a Mediterranean mountain town of paths and squares. The harbor bath brings the beach into the heart of the city, realizing the Parisian slogan of May 68, sous le pavé la plage. The courtscraper combines the urban oasis of the courtyard with the extreme density of a skyscraper into a new warped hybrid of the two. Wow. He is like, he's pretty polished. I mean, my first reaction, uh -huh. Chad, is compare him to the sort of natural, rough edged Frank Geary who's just, eh, just doing a thing and throwing paper in the waste paper basket. And then I look at it, I see a shape, you know, just very nature, human, intentional. Biake is so polished and he's so about the, the clash of worlds the clash of ideas i what where the real inspiration yeah with a dash of celebrity in there too you yeah, know with his and, movie references yes and the, the the nice parisian twist and the, we call this bigamy everything is trademark but i mean jesting aside what he is clearly pointing out for us right here is he he's he's taking ideas well just because i live in an apartment doesn't mean i can't have a garden now, while that thought is simple, almost everybody in the world who lives in an apartment doesn't enjoy their own garden, but yet he designs apartments with gardens and they're fabulous. Mm -hmm. And this challenging of the status quo, this contrarian uh, approach, which takes so much courage, is signature innovative. It's very, I mean, he is literally Elon Musk in architecture. And I think this is where we can jump off into a world of Bjarke Engels. This, for me, is like a huge learning. Challenge the status quo. Ask, why do we accept the ordinary? Why can't we have the magical? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what I love most about Bjarke and his personality is how much he challenges convention instead of, as he says, you know, keep things the way they are or just replicate something that's already been done. Let's dream about what we actually want and try to make it happen. Yeah. And th there's there's something really nice about, you know, someone that's trying to move the field forward in such in such a way. Like I so he talks about the eight house, which is a place that I did get to visit when I was in Copenhagen. And he is correct. There's points of the building. So imagine a, a figure eight mm -hmm. if you looked at it from above with courtyards in in the two uh, middle kind of round sections. And at some points, 
the building touches the ground. So as he says, you could kind of ride your bike up and then imagine kind of going on an infinite loop around on the top of this building, but you're changing elevation as you're going. So it's a very different way of moving around an apartment complex. It's not like a high rise building with a cross, you know, floor plan. And you can't help but think that you're in some kind of new community and new space Mm. when you're in that kind of built environment. And so, yeah, I just, I love how much he challenges the status quo. Like when you're in a place like that at, at the eight house, like you're, you're not on my block here in Brooklyn. Like you're definitely transported into a different place. And so, yeah, I think it, I think it's really, it's really fascinating how much he shares in common with so many of these other uh, brash uh, moonshot thinkers um, mm-hmm. that we profiled mm-hmm. here. You know, the people that come to mind in addition to Elon Musk are uh, people like uh, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, and even someone like Yvonne Chouinard, who has, they have no qualms about uh, just <laughs> about speaking their mind yeah. when it comes to, when it comes to their respective fields. Quite fearless, really quite mm-hmm. fearless, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, I'm, Look, what I'm really excited about is he actually breaks down how he got the courage and the mental models. In fact, this next clip that we're going to listen to is him giving a little bit his journey into his craft and practice of architecture. And what I want everyone to do is really tune in uh, to what he says here because he's going to give us this formula that he used to master architecture. So let's have a listen to Björk Engels. I think when I look at how I developed uh, as an architect when I was a, when I was a student, it was, uh, you can sort of describe it as sort of professional uh, a serial monogamy in a way. That the, um, uh, I would always fall in love with uh, the work of an architect. And then I would like really dive deep into that uh, and then uh, almost like d- digging so deep into uh, this particular obsession that and, and when you dig deep enough, you also reach a certain point where, and I think this is true in architecture and in art and, uh, and probably in philosophy or technology or whatever, that at some point you reach the root um, assumptions. That once you start questioning those assumptions, the foundation of everything just collapses. And then that, in a way, frees you to uh, look in another direction. It's almost like, you know, in Nietzschean terms, he, he talks about how you philosophize with the hammer, that you, that you hammer on, uh, on these different uh, concepts uh, uh, or like values uh, to see if there's actually any substantial uh, um, underpinnings behind. And sometimes you, there's, a, there's a value that is no longer uh, uh, valid. It's a hollow concept, and it, it shatters when you uh, when you hit it with a hammer. Uh, and I think in a way, I I, uh, I studied architecture with a hammer for like a, a few years uh, until I reached a certain point where um, uh, where I found an architect, uh, Rem Kohlhaas, uh, who then uh, ended up becoming my uh, uh, my boss when I went to work for him, uh, where he had a background in journalism. And uh, I think what was interesting for me and what was eye-opening was that um, 
all of all of their projects dealt with some kind of a situation, a political or a, a sort of a, a economical, uh, technological situation uh, that in a way made the architecture reflect on society. This idea that architecture wasn't like an autonomous art form uh, happening just within its own terms, but it was actually like in, in direct dialogue with things going on in society became, uh, became eye-opening to me. Hmm. I, I love how this clip builds on the last. It's almost Bjark explaining how he's able to challenge convention. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this first principle is thinking, again, a, a direct line to someone like Elon, who espouses, he calls it first principles thinking. Bjark has an, an amazing metaphor of shattering with a hammer ideas when you when you inquire into them enough. So I think what I'm learning from this is Bjark has become so contrarian because he he doesn't take ideas at face value. He he hits he hits them with a hammer. Uh, with a hammer, yeah, <laughs> to see how fragile they are. Um, and it seems like what he's learned over the years is that many of these conventions, you know, kind of ring false or, or hollow. Absolutely. And the the build I'd make on that, what this made me sort of extrapolate from this was he deconstructs uh, in order to achieve mastery. Mm. Now, let, let me explain what I mean there. He breaks down uh, a bit like Lego, really. He breaks, he, like, let's use architecture, his practice. He broke it down and asked, it, it reminded me of uh, the Toyota ask why five times and you'll get to the root of anything, okay? Now, so he deconstructed it, so then he is able to reassemble in it in a, the pieces in a different order. Mm. So what I'm taking from this is if we want to master anything, just keep asking why until you get to the root of it and, and, and to the very, very first principles, and then reorganize those principles in a new way. This is almost like how you be, can become a contrarian innovator in any given space. I thought that was really, really powerful because it can apply to anything, can't it, Chad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing at the end of the clip, he's talking about Rem Coolhouse, who who he worked for at OMA before starting his own practice. And Rem is certainly someone that we could have also profiled on in this series. Oh, yeah. But he was talking about architecture, not in isolation, but in dialogue with society. And I think what that kind of gives me a bit of a preview of is how important, and I think we'll we'll hear this a bit later in the show, how important the you know the people, the citizenry, and the neighborhoods, and the you know civic life and reality yeah. also informs what they're doing. And so there's this very interesting interplay between that, which I guess said in in a in a way that more directly relates to the show, like it's very user centered the way he approaches it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you were to take the digital world, he's like all about UX, usability, user-centered design, uh, human-centered design. And the way that works in architecture is they think about environmental conditions, social factors, uh, the urban landscape, like the broadest sort of models by which humans can come into interaction with a space you know and and isn't that crazy i mean this is exactly what you start to 
see with Elon when he thinks about getting people around cities better. You see this in so many of the innovators that we've that we've uh, studied that they either directly or indirectly create better user or better human experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And even incorporating simple things like surprise and delight yes. um, is very important yes. to, to what Big does. And and that that really kind of launches us into this next thought from from Elon, which is all about design. And, you know, he gets almost a little Dita Rams on us who we've featured on the show in this next clip. So let's kind of open up our minds to the world of design with Bjarke Engels. I think a major part of of innovation is the migration of ideas. Good design is a design that is informed by specific information. What kind of a climate do you have? What kind of a building code do you have? What kind of a social behavior do you have and would you like to promote? So that everything you do is actually done for a specific purpose. Because I think good design is careful. Bad design is careless. And what, what we're interested in is trying to find ways of using contemporary engineering, uh, technology, uh, the capacity to model and simulate and calculate to uh, respond to the local climate in ways that are not based on machinery, but based on the design of the building, so that a building in Dubai is going to look radically different from a building in, uh, in Copenhagen. Um, so we, we don't call it architecture without architects, because that would be putting us out of a job. But we call it engineering without engines. I think what's, what's in a bizarre way unique about uh, our work is that we actually do what we say. Uh, so that each project somehow starts, we start by diving into the specific situation. What's the, what's the city? What's the landscape? What's the climate? Uh, what do the neighbors look like? What uh, has to happen here? Like we try to look at all these practicalities and we also try to see what do people normally do? Like how would you normally build this kind of school? So in the end you can say like our buildings end up looking different because they perform different. Yeah. For me, the key word there was good design is taking care. Carrie said otherwise could almost be empathy, couldn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm reading into that is that while Bjark doesn't talk about it in terms of you know design thinking or human-centered design, I think it's absolutely ingrained into their practice at Big because mm. they're not starting so they're not starting from like a brief maybe that a client gives them or a cool idea they have. They actually you know, vacuum up all of the data and information, in, information and research about, mm. like I was saying before, you know, the place and the people, um, the environment, yeah. and using that as the substrate for for what they're building, so that it's kind of a natural extension, and and instead of some like weird architectural sculpture that's you know completely out of place. And I think that the what we're what's starting to reveal itself is his success comes from seeing his buildings in a almost anthropological context rather than an engineering structure in a given square footage. You know what I mean? Like it really it really feels like he's on a journey to make it integrate with a really broad set of factors rather than like 
I've got my square. I'm going to put the coolest thing I can think of on that square and job done. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, it sounds to me like it's a very emergent process and the ideas come from the site and the people as opposed to, again, them forcing ideas. So kind of taken into maybe a digital product or you know tech product world, Bjark and Big seem very focused on kind of problem finding as opposed to solution creating. So instead of me just getting a brilliant idea for my uh, Uber for dog treats and building it <laughs> and going out Are to we sell back to that again? <laughs> I, we're still this idea is never going to die, Mike. It's so good. <laughs> it's never going to die. Um, uh, 50 episodes later and it's still with it's a per- Right? It's a perfect idea. I came up with it. It's brilliant. And so I'm going to build it and, uh, and the world is going to, to eat it up, right? <laughs> well, and, and that's kind of my point is that um, instead of locking themselves in a studio and coming up with beautiful designs and then, as you say, put them in, in the box, they're really letting the, the work emerge from, f- from the situation and from, from the environment, which I think uh, is a big lesson for us, again, to, to not be so solution focused and instead you know, be m- much more empathetic and allow the solutions to kind of emerge from the problems that we're discovering um, from our customers. Now, what what what's crazy good for for this next clip is if you if you take this thinking once you've kind of taken the care to study the people and the space and the movement in a very broad context, you identify these big problems, and then you can kind of dream up fantastical new approaches. And um, this is really at the heart of their process. So we've been very fortunate to find almost different clips of Bjark talking about their process and pulling it all together for our for our audience. This next clip talks about these big dreams that they have once they've kind of studied the context and how they can turn fiction into fact. That is the power uh, of architecture uh, is that you think of something you imagine something, uh, and then you start doing a lot of work. You do drawings, you find technical solutions, you, you solve the budgets, and then after sort of six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, suddenly it's there. So it goes from being pure fiction, a figment of your imagination, into the world you live in. Uh, you know, like we came up with a crazy idea about skiing on the roofs of power plants. N- now that's just reality in, uh, in Copenhagen one year from now or like one month from now. So, um, so in that sense, architecture literally is the art of turning fiction into fact. Does that tie into the phrase, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, that you said, uh, we try to position ourselves in the small overlap between uh, the avant-garde and the reliable and predictable? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's like, that's actually, we, we have this notion we call pra- pragmatic utopia. Uh, and uh, it, it ties into this idea of turning fiction into fact, that as human beings we have the power to imagine and realize the world we want to live in. Pragmatic utopia is this idea of saying utopia is often used as a fictional, um, you know, ideal future that is so perfect that it's impossible. But every time you're making a building or an urban space, you have the chance to make this little corner of the world, tiny little corner of the world, more like your dream world. So in that sense, you, we actually end up building utopia 
uh, one step or one building uh, at a time. Wow. I, could you imagine if Bjark and Elon like went to the same elementary school? I, I kind of think that they did in the way that they speak about, uh, you know, kind of the, the world of possibilities uh, when it comes to creating, you know, your uh, what is it, pragmatic utopia. Mm, mm. Well, you certainly get this sense of how vivid his mental models are how big he dreams and and it feels like that's so related to understanding the context and he understands the context so well from having deconstructed architecture so this sort of his approach we've sort of decoded in these three steps which is decode the practice take care to take in all the factors and then dream big and you can make fiction into fact that to me serves not only architects uh, well, but any budding entrepreneur or innovator, it's sort of a go-to playbook, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of Steve Jobs in in that same line of thinking. It's right. it's people that refuse to believe that there are guardrails or, or constraints that's going to keep them from realizing their vision. Mm. You know, s- some people maybe went about it in a in a friendlier way than others. And, and some people had some, you know, big failures along the way, but I, I think we could say that there hasn't been too much downside in, in this thinking of, of turning fact in or turning fiction into fact. But I think one thing it's driving home for me is that this, I'll call it just a personality trait. This belief that you can turn fiction into fact is something that's probably true for everyone that we've profiled. And as you yeah. said, it's, you know, it's kind of a true hallmark of, of an innovator uh, entrepreneur. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's really fun now is that you and I get a chance to, to dive into some of the, the work that he's done and talk about it. So we're, I mean, we've, we've mentioned uh, the Lego building, Chad, should we play a clip from, from Bjark perhaps talking about this crazy Lego building? Yeah. And uh, again, I would encourage everyone, if, if you go to moonshots.io, you'll find links to all the images and buildings and, and all the materials. As with, with all of the people uh, that we profiled in this Architects series, it really benefits from, uh, from seeing these buildings that we've been discussing. But uh, here, here's a clip talking about the new Lego Museum. If you're an architect and you're invited to create the home of Lego, and Lego is all about, you know, Building. We kind of made the dogma that we wouldn't design anything that wouldn't be immediately buildable in Lego. One aspect of Lego is to almost boil things down into the essentials with like, with how few bricks uh, can you actually make something recognizable. Also, we knew where it was going to be placed uh, here in the heart of Bilon, the hometown of Lego. Like symbolically uh, almost uh, replace the former city hall, the town that is very much about Lego. Instead of a city hall, you would have the Lego house. The idea was that maybe for the Lego house, just like the architecture of the Lego house is, is faithful to uh, the proportions of Lego. Every artifact, every piece of furniture, so everything you touch in the Lego house is actually made out of Lego. With Lego, you can also do this sort of pixelation or voxelation, it's actually called when it's volumetric. So where you create organic shapes with many little bricks. And that's what happens with the pixel melt on the outside where it almost becomes organic forms. So everything is like essentially 90 degrees only. And then 
the entire building is clad in uh, ceramic tiles, uh, really big, beautiful ceramic tiles. They're basically based on the proportions of two by fours. The side elevation is uh, 18 centimeters high. But the funny thing is, so 18 centimeters is like a classic measurement in architecture because it is the, the comfortable height of a step. When you uh, scale the two by four up to 18 centimeters of height, it becomes exactly 60 centimeters long. It's almost the same as two feet. So all carpenters, all masons, they work with these, like everything comes in 60 measurements. It almost feels that, you know, just like you say that in nature, uh, everything is, you know, uh, uh, with the golden ratio or the Fibonacci uh, spirals. Uh, you can say in the, in the building industry, everything somehow seems to be saturated with the measurements of Lego. The Da Vinci code uh, of architecture is somehow rooted in the proportions of Lego bricks. <laughs> he he is riffing there. He is he has gone way past Elon Musk on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think for me, this is also just speaks to how passionate he is for what he does, turning fiction into fact and becoming obsessed. Like I'm I'm hearing him get totally obsessed with Lego in the same way that you know he taught himself architecture by obsessing with all of the greats. He just goes all in on on lego and he becomes like da vinci and he see or what he's like neo in the matrix you know he sees the matrix code um you know before his eyes it's um it's really you feel his energy there and he was so in a state of flow he's just like riffing like crazy and i mean yes all our listeners should go and google the lego building and any of his buildings, they're, they're very inspiring. We'll have a bunch of links to them in the show notes. But um, it truly was such a simple idea because you should know that the Lego company, when they briefed him, they didn't tell him, can you build it out of Lego? That was his idea. Mm -hmm. And how crazy is it they managed to not only do the structure but the interiors, everything is Lego. And, and what a simple but yet powerful idea that I'm sure is rooted in the fact that in that very early clip that he has decoded, he has deconstructed architecture to the point where it seems so logical to him to make it from Lego, yet nobody else had that idea. And I think that it's this kind of thinking that makes him so appealing to clients all around the world. And he recently... Um, landed in my backyard. He did land in your backyard. So why don't you set up this next clip because it was absolute signature Bjark, but also real recognition of his role, not only in architecture, but I think beyond in the ways we work. Yeah. So I'm going to let the clip do most of, of the talking here, but a company that we've profiled on the Hot or Not show, I believe it was episode 38, WeWork, uh, the founders were looking for someone that could think big enough to, you know, partner with them and their huge ambitions for for remaking the way we we live and work. So of course Bjark uh, was their guy, um, and he's now he's now working with the founders at WeWork. As far as I can tell, most all of their new ventures. But um, here's some more from Bjark on his new venture with WeWork. Somehow the world was not geared for this kind of a initiative and. I think what, um, what we're trying to do with WeWork is to, in a way, say the whole world has been obsessed with platforms, uh, the internet as a platform, uh, social media as a platform. 
But there's no platform more fundamental uh, than the ground under your feet uh, to actually provide the space for, for, for living and for working uh, in a way that is much more tailored to the lives we, uh, we actually live is a, is a huge endeavor and has somehow not really been, uh, uh, been met so far. Like, I think another thing we're focusing on is even a fully occupied building is only a third occupied. Let's say a, a workspace, because people work typically from, from nine to five or whatever. Uh, and, and then it's like pretty much em empty except yeah. for some, some maintenance and a few people, uh, people like struggling on a deadline. Um, so, and then of course there's the weekends. So if there was ways we could actually turn on our urban landscapes by cohabiting them in, in different ways, uh, e even human beings have different sleep patterns because as a tribe, it was smart if some people in the population were more nocturnal and some were more uh, sort of awake in the morning because then the chance of being eaten by invading tigers or, or uh, sort of uh, other tribes was, was lower if there was always someone awake. So I think in a similar way as a society, we have to find ways to, to get much more activity, much more life out of the structures that we, uh, that we built. What's so interesting to me about this clip is uh, he's the consummate storyteller. And what I love is he's changing altitudes as he's speaking. So he's going from the very specific of like, you know, this is how we work and this is where we work and this is how buildings are. And then he like zooms way out and he's like, you know, when we were tribes uh, <laughs> 10,000, you know, years ago. Um, and and so he's, he's kind of zooming in and out, you know, to, from the from the single person up to the society to present day to the past. In some ways, it's very hard to track kind of where he is, you know, at kind of what altitude or what what uh, time frame? So it's just interesting to me hearing him speak about his his partnership with WeWork, just the kind of fluidity of his thought as he's moving between all those different modalities. Yeah, and and your mind boggles about what he could do on the scale of WeWork, right? Like if you think about like the the hundreds and hundreds of offices and buildings that he can now touch, inspire, um, change the way hundreds of thousands, if not now millions of people would work every day. I mean, this could be huge for rethinking how we work. And um, I'm sure a guy like Bjark is just going to turn everything <laughs> upside down for sure. Don't you think, Chad? Yeah. Well, I mean, what I would love, and I, I don't know if we'll get there um, on the show, we, we've gotten a bit, we've gotten, you know, some clues to it, but like, I want to know how he comes up with these ideas like is it he's just not letting anything hold him back it's because what he's talking about it doesn't really make any sense right like all of the office buildings in manhattan are unoccupied two-thirds of the time and just think of all the not only just the wasted energy but the wasted space and the wasted you know uh, the latent potential of all of that space and so he's like well you know how do we get it so that all of those buildings are 100% occupied? And you're just like, yeah, why not? So it's it's funny. Every time you know he says something, I'm like, well, yeah, why isn't that true? Why isn't that the case now? It's just fascinating to me how you know. I still want to know exactly. How, I want to like get into his brain and figure out how right. he comes up with some of these ideas because you know once you hear them, you're like, huh, yeah, <laughs> so simple, of course. 
But I mean, that's like anything, anyone who's great at anything, be it a sportsman or a, or a business person, you, you always, they always make it look so easy. But in that there's often, and I think what Bjark talked about was years of just with a hammer, smashing architecture apart, deconstructing it to its, its base level. And I think almost once you've learned how to do that, I think, uh, first of all, when you master something, you're very comfortable remixing it, right? When you're not comfortable with something, it needs to be kind of almost rigid and you need to hold on to the rules. But when you just know it so well, you can say, oh, let's put B before A. What about C? Maybe put that up the front. And I think he's freestyling because he just knows it so well. Mm. But what a gift we've had so far, Chad. We've been able to go into the mind and the practices of someone who challenges the status quo and will have enormous impact on all of our lives, particularly with this WeWork deal. I'm just like, all right, how does, what advice does he have? And where is his vision for the future? And we've got a couple more clips to, to kind of take us to those places. I mean, this, this guy really for me, is all about challenging the status quo. So I'm really keen to hear what advice he has for us. So where should we start on that journey, Chad? Yeah, well, uh, before we get into the the final section of the show, I did just want to mention, and this will be in, in the show notes, Bjark was at South by Southwest here uh, or in Austin in, in 2019, and he gave a really interesting talk with some fantastic visuals, like so much that we couldn't include hardly any of it I don't know if any clips made it into into this show, actually. If you search for Bjark Ingle, South by Southwest, or uh, Form Givening, uh, is, is, sorry, I just butchered my, uh, my Danish. But uh, it's a really great talk that he gives that goes into even more uh, buildings that he's working on and completed. He goes uh, into depth with the Coppen Hill, as well as his plans for cities built on the water, and then, of course, in true Elon fashion, uh, how we will build on Mars. So yeah, be sure to to check out moonshots.io for all of that. But in terms of advice, we've got two really good pieces, um, and I don't think we'll be surprised uh, to hear from Bjark that a piece of advice is to do what you want. Um, so here's uh, here's Bjark's first piece of advice for us. It's very important that one of the main motivators in life is that you actually do what you want. Uh, My favorite philosopher is actually Nietzsche, but he was very inspired by Schopenhauer. And my favorite quote is, uh, um, you can do what you want, but you cannot want what you want. And that's, it's so true. Like, uh, you cannot, you can actually, if if you want something, you can do it or not. If you have the courage or the energy to do it, you can do it or not. But you can never decide what it is you want, because either you want it or you don't. So our office uh, here in, uh, in Copenhagen, we have maybe 25 different nationalities. One of the advantages of having multiple people collaborating from different cultures and different backgrounds is that the tendency to take things for granted diminishes, because nobody has exactly the same references. By bringing people together from different backgrounds, everything gets questioned. Nothing is taken for granted. Uh, and you end up turning more stones than you would otherwise, uh, and you end up having these accidental discoveries. Well, there was actually two little gifts in that. You know, as an aside, 
you know, he was just talking about how diversity breeds this consideration, this openness, not taking things for granted because it's not a monolithic culture. But I, but I would come back to his the 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 beginning of that. I love the singularity of do what you want. What you want is not a choice. In terms of you either want it or you don't. But the mm-hmm. the choice to do it is another thing. I mean, you hear him speak, and, and you're left with absolutely no doubt that he will do what he wants. Meaning, he will achieve his dreams because there's just no way. He could have achieved what he has achieved thus far without that drive. But there's something deeper in his voice that even we hear in Zaha, who was not as articulate as him, there is a certain tone, Mm -hmm. there's a certain delivery that we hear in all of these innovators. And the best way I can say it is there's a knowingness. It comes from putting in the hard yards and being relentless in pursuing their dreams you just feel it don't you chad yeah i i also have like kind of a bit of the nike just do it vibe here mm. where in a way i i think it's a bit of a subtle dig to all of the entrepreneurs out there who who maybe have these ones um but don't act on them and i, I what i hear bjark saying is like no like you you can choose to act on it. And, you know, we at big are doing that. And that's why we're able to build these really interesting built environments for, for clients. And so I, I kind of take it as a, a bit of a, you know, like, you know, don't rest on your laurels, get off your ass and get out there. And just <laughs> do it. And he doesn't stop there with his advice. We've got another one where Biak is really setting the scene for you know, what advice he would have for young architects. So let's jump into some advice from Bjark Engels. I think for, for young architects, it's important, A, to care. Because if you don't care, it doesn't matter. B, to realize that we're not here to, um, to build for other architects. We're here to build for, uh, for all of humankind in a way. And we're here to accommodate uh, life uh, and, and work of so many different people from so many different backgrounds so that first of all we really need to care about the people we are designing for, understand uh, what their dreams and desires and priorities are uh, and then we have to use that understanding as the driving force of the work we put forward because the second we know what questions uh, that are important then all we have to do is, uh, is answer them. Well, he really, really brought a couple of themes back for me on that one. Did you notice he brings back this careful thing again? This is like a really subtle reference, but I think it's actually at the core of how he innovates, don't you? Yeah, I'm having more. I think before doing the research on Bjork, I I saw him a a bit as kind of like a a real big personality and a bit bombastic, but it it it's it's hearing clips like this that really makes me appreciate his care for and empathy for the user. Now the execution may be like a bit out there and a bit flashy or showy, but I think it's all rooted in this deep empathy for n- not the client even, but the the people and the 
and the neighborhoods in which these buildings are going to to live. Mm. The um the other thing that you that you just continually get back from his approach is not only the, this this care, but um the the feeling that from taking that care, he has the capacity, uh, the inspiration to dream big. And I really love the way it all fits together. I really think he has this great capacity from almost being an anthropologist, studying the world and how it works. It's from that that he gets his inspiration, uh, which I think is a great way. If If you're thinking about I want to create a business. Go and study the world in which you live and work in, and and in Richard Branson style, see every every problem is a business opportunity. Right. Um, I really think this is at the heart of how he innovates, and I think there's a lot that we can take from him on this. Yeah. So I I don't. So I think you helped me answer my question, Mike, and how Bjark comes up with his ideas, and I think it is very Branson esque. So I'm imagining Bjark at his studio late at night, he's working on a deadline and maybe he and his few team members are the only people there. And he probably looks around and says, wait a minute, there's all these computers and all this space that's not being used. You know, why, why is that? You know, like people could be having a, uh, I don't know, a dinner party here, or they could be, you know, students could be studying here or something. So I think, I think you're exactly right. It's always being hyper aware and attuned to those kind of discrepancies Mm -hmm. or, um, Oh, frustrations. That's how Branson talked about all those frustrations out there. Right. And then um, those are the seeds of the ideas, you know, that, that turn into, you know, some of these great accomplishments that we've seen from, from everyone that we've profiled here on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the, 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 the final inspiration uh, we can take from Biak is really about how he sees the future. And I think that this really gets us into um, the thinking that he has, almost the horizon that he sees his work taking place in, and how he—I don't—he has such a big vision that a- automatically expands the ambition of any project that's brought to him. So he has some very strong thinking around what kind of world do we see in the future? What, what kind of world do we want to live in? And um, let's have a listen to him on our last clip. This is Bjark Engels talking about what kind of world do we want to live in? Why should I even be interested in, in design or architecture? Uh, and it is because architecture is not a question of making it nice or pretty or this style or that style. It's a question of what kind of world do we want to create and what, what kind of world do we want to live in? Mm-hmm. And, and for instance, like I just had a son. Uh, he's three months old. Congrats. Thank you. And uh, so he probably won't remember anything for like another two years. So he won't even know that there was a time when you couldn't ski on the roofs of the power plants. So imagine him and his entire generation, that's going to be something they take for granted. So imagine what they're going to ask for the envi- from the environment and what they're going to imagine for the environment if skiing on power plant is their is their sort of baseline. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love it, it's almost answering the question of like why architecture matters. Yes, totally. Totally. And I love how he sees it in this incremental, like he creates a shift 
that's the new baseline. So he he raises the level and then you're like, well, what's the level that comes next? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a very important trait that we've seen amongst uh, many of the people we've profiled is that you're not you're surely not satisfied with the status quo and convention, and you're definitely looking around the next corner. But if you're a true innovator, you look around the next corner, and then you try and look around the next corner, right? So yeah, as you say, you know, the the next corner kind of becomes, you know, the ground truth and reality. So then it's okay from there. How can we look around the next corner? Yes. And then if that's true, and what happens when we look around the next one? And it, it can be a very hard thought experiment, but that's something. There's a friend of mine that uh, is a huge proponent of that kind of thinking, and whenever we go down those lines of thought, um, we usually end up in a pretty uh, weird and wacky and cool place. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because when you think about all of the architects that we have covered in this series, every single one of them, I think, meets the criteria of being prolific. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when we made a list of like our favorite houses, our favorite buildings from each of them, it's not like uh, there was kind of one that we really, really liked. It's like there is a, a list of a dozen. And I think Lloyd Wright took the prize. I think he designed close to a 1,000, had about 500 of those built. And I think Bjarke is just the same. You you just look at incrementally the the rate of his work, and he seems like he is not even close to retirement. I mean, this guy just feels like he's amping it up every time. It's increment, increment, increment. And I think that's another. I think that's what happens when you get in a state of flow. When you're doing what you love, when you've decoded it, then you're reassembling all of the parts and finding huge problems to go and solve and big dreams to make come true. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, he's quite, as you say, young in his career as an architect. So I'm very curious to see how much staying power he and his firm have and, and how much of their ambitions they're able to, to realize. I mean, I mentioned this whole like building on Mars thing, like he, he's got it all planned out. He's got the beautiful PowerPoint and everything. <laughs> you know, if it really happens remains to, to be seen. But, you know, I can say from my direct experience with, with his buildings in, in Copenhagen, you know, I've been very delighted with them and I can say that I, I would like to see more. Very inspiring. And, and, it, and it puts Copenhagen firmly back on my list. I've been there a long time ago. I got to get back there. So, um, yeah, go in the summertime and you can, uh, you can go to the, the Harbor, uh, pool that, which was, his very first uh, building, or you had, or in the middle of the winter, man. I want to ski down a power plant. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you'll just we'll have to go twice. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, what a fantastic architect to study! What a great person to learn from! All about breaking the status quo. He's Branson, he's Musk, and he's doing it in the world of architecture. I mean, Bjark Engels has so much to offer us, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah, and. It's for me, it's a nice cap. We kind of went in reverse order from kind of the uh, the heavyweights of a few years past and and then Zaha now are you know almost a contemporary of of ours. Um, it's been really fun to to go through the century in in architecture 
very, very different, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, realizations of their ideas. But as like a broken record, <laughs> there there's so many similarities between how they think and yes. um, advice that they have for us, not just amongst themselves, but connected to all of the other entrepreneurs and innovators that we've profiled on this show. Right. And um, that brings me to the upcoming shows. Uh, our next show is going to be a kind of a nice detour from the study of individual entrepreneurs. We're going to do our best of 2018, looking forward into the future of 2019 and beyond show. And we're hoping to have a special guest join us for that. That's going to be great. There's lots of things happening in the world of tech, the ups, the downs. We're seeing an IPO frenzy. We're seeing a social media crunch. Chad, there is so much for us to review in the world of startups, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm really looking forward to the best of 2018, 2019 show, aren't you? You have teased the series that comes after that show, and we have not revealed it yet. You you mean our favorite author? Yeah. So our most popular show by far was show 41 with Simon Sinek. And to pay further homage to Simon and really dive deep and unpack his ideas, we've decided to spend an entire show on each of his books. So drum roll, I'm pleased to announce that uh, we will be doing not one, not two, but five shows on uh, on Simon and his amazing uh, ideas that have come from all of his books from Start With Why to Leaders That Eat Last and uh, all the way up to his most recent book, The Infinite Game. Yeah. And, and look, this is not an indulgence on our side. I mean, 27,189 of you loved Simon Sinek. Um, it is the all-time heavyweight show for us. Um, and we personally love his work because it, Simon Sinek gives us so many clues onto what leadership looks like, how to become a great leader. And um, he has a wealth of wisdom that is so digestible, so usable that uh, with the upcoming launch of The Infinite Game, it feels only appropriate for us to go to double down on him and find out uh, more about uh, Simon and his work, but also to hear from you, our audience, why you love him so much, because we got so much love for that show. Um, we're, we're super pumped. And I, I can tell you that we've already begun the research on that. And some of the clips are so inspiring. And there's a lot inside of that. And um, it's sort of going to be the longest special we've ever done. So we're ready to double down into the land of Simon Sinek. Yeah. And I'm setting kind of a personal goal to try and get in touch with his uh, publicity team as he's on his uh, book tour. Uh, I know authors love to get on podcasts when they're uh, coming out with books. So fingers crossed, we will uh, fire a shot across his bow and see see how close we can get. So if any of you listeners have any connections into the world of uh, Simon Sinek, please uh, reach out to us. Uh, and, and speaking of which, you can find all of the things that we've discussed on this show, all of our previous shows uh, at moonshots.io. 
And we really love and appreciate all of the feedback that we get. And of course, appreciate all of the reviews that you leave um, on iTunes that helps other people discover uh, and learn from the show, just like you. Yeah. Um, and um, don't forget, we love a good email. We got a lovely email um, very recently from, from a listener who, who thanked us uh, for the show, but said, you know, we, we make that commute uh, to and from work just that much more manageable. And he loved uh, all of the inspiring people that we, that we study. And I uh, can't tell you how much it means when people send in those, those notes. Um, so keep them. Yeah. Shows recorded, you know, last year or even the year before it's, uh, it's always great uh, to, to hear from brand new listeners that, uh, that are just discovering the show. Yep. And um, we're now over, uh, we're, we're now five out of five stars on the iTunes store. We have over 10 reviews. We need more folks. Get in there. Tell us uh, what you think of the show. Give us a rating. We'd, we would really appreciate it. And uh, we can't wait uh, to dive into this next series of shows. Lots of good stuff coming up. So I think, I think we're about done, don't you, Chad? Yeah. The uh, the sun has finally set here, um, although it's it's much much later than it was in the dark and dreary uh, winter. So again, I'm so excited that that spring has arrived. But I'm super excited to be seeing you here live in person in New York in just a few weeks, Mike. I uh, can't wait to to have you here, and maybe we can, um, if not do a live show together, do uh, some recording in person. That sounds so good. All right. Well, listen, Chad. It's been Wonderful! I can't wait uh, f- for the show next week. Thank you to you to our to all our listeners. It's been great diving into the world of Bjark Engels. Uh, we've learned so much about challenging the status quo. I'm ready to go do it. So I'm going to sign off and say that's a wrap of the Moonshots podcast.